Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Jacob Wade, CEO of Friendly Skeleton Games, formerly known as Deepwater Games. They have published many popular titles, including one of my favorites, Fantastic Factories. Jacob, welcome to The Binge. How are you doing, sir? Fantastic. Well, it is great to have you here. I, I, we, we ran into each other at Gen Con, which is awesome. And that's how we kind of uh, connected and you agreed to come on the podcast. So I appreciate that. Start off that conversation, obviously, with Fantastic Factories, which again is on our game table probably once a week, uh, which we absolutely love. I got a buddy who introduced me to it. And uh, as soon as I saw the booth, I'm like, oh, my God, we got to get Jacob on the podcast. So it was very generous of you to agree to come on. Uh, let's start off with the skeleton, I guess, pun intended, in the room. <laughs> Deepwater Games to Friendly Skeleton. What's going on? Oh, that's a that's a good question. Well, thank you for having me on the podcast as well. I'm, I'm so excited. I'm a huge fan of what you do. And uh, I'm I'm shocked you I thought you had a filter to do that 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 great voice for the intro. It's actually you're doing it live. I was I was I was surprised. I'm like, that is so much energy. <laughs> um so uh, yeah, so I I I uh am the CEO of Friendly Skeleton. As of a uh, couple days ago, I was the CEO of uh, Deepwater Games. Um we made a decision to rebrand the the company into Friendly Skeleton. Um, and one of the big reasons was uh, we didn't think our brand really spoke to the games that we made, right? Um, our games are meant to be easy to learn, hard to master, um, but also we wanted to make games that were a little bit offbeat, mm. which a friendly skeleton is it's truly offbeat. Um, and then we also wanted to make things that uh, you want to show your friends and family. So we wanted a little bit more of that friendly aspect to it. Deep Water, you know, is kind of where we started. Um, and Friendly Skeleton is, is where we're at now. So super excited about the change. Um, you know, it, it's, it was hard because, you know, we started Deepwater five years ago. Um, only five years the, ago, really? Yep. Yeah, it's only been five years. Wow. It started in 2018. One um, of our first target titles was uh, Herbalism, um, mm. which nobody remembers, of course. Five years in board game years is like 30 years. Eternity, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, and uh, we started as a, a localization company. So we'd take games from international markets, uh, specifically Taiwan, and then we'd localize them into uh, the, the English U.S. market. So um, deep water made sense because we we're bringing things over water, right? We were, mm. we were bringing uh, potentially uh, deep games as well as, as kind of our, our thought. Um, and just was a fun name. Um, when we started moving away from that, which is actually... Uh, when we signed Welcome To, uh, our fifth game ever signed was Welcome To. Oh, wow. Um, and that just blew us up. We were, it was, uh, I remember the exact moment. It was at Gamma 2018. I was sitting on uh, the stairs. If you've ever been to Gamma, there's these stairs right outside of the conventional. It's where everybody takes their business calls. If you see somebody sitting on the stairs, they're, they're on the phone. Um, and I was talking to, uh, Elaine over in France and it was, uh, six hours difference. So I think it was like 9am there and it was, uh, in the afternoon and we we're, we were hashing out the details of welcome to it. We were the second localizer for it. It was French Canadian or, uh, yeah, French and English and, uh, Canada. So, uh, dude games. And then yep. we, it was us. 
So, so when you make a change like this, obviously there's gotta be like, you're going through risk analysis to say, okay, you know, when we're completely changing our identity, it's everything from website to social media handles to, um, you know, you know, Google search results and, and, you know, the algorithms and like, it must've been a big, big decision for you guys. Right. When you went through that, that process and did you do almost kind of like the pros and cons or was it like, no, we got to do this and we're going to do it because it's better to do it now than say 10 years from now. It's a great question. I mean, to be honest with you, <clears throat> if you analyze everything in, in the industry, you know, you're going to really lose sight of like what you're doing, right? Like there's yeah. a thousand ways to make this a bad decision, you know, like to, to, to make an equation to say, oh, wow, well, we're losing this and we're losing that and we're losing that. But in reality, I think um, what has gotten me through uh, a lot of um, and, and gotten me opportunities, you know, with Welcome To, with Monstrosity, with Cristalo, with now Trash Talk, it's intuition, right? Like mm. that's one of the beautiful parts about this industry is like, it's entertainment, right? Like you can't, you can't always be right. You can't always be um, just measuring, well, everybody's doing a game about castles. So I should do a game about castles. No, you got to sometimes just feel it and feel what the right decision is. And that that's hard as a business owner because, yeah, you know, I live in the spreadsheets. I live, I live in the, the balance sheets. I live in the P and L's and to, to then go and be like, well, what do I feel is the right decision? Uh, it's been an interesting balance for me. And, and honestly, um, you know, there were points where I was like, I just don't know if this is the right decision because we're, we're well known, but it was either we keep using this name that we don't feel too much connection to, you know, we, we were going through when I bought the company. So I bought the company in October of 2022 from okay. my business partners. And, uh, when that happened, you know, which is only 10 months ago now, uh, when that happened, I started looking at every part of the company. We, we, we went from having 20, uh, I was in a company of 22 employees, um, which we had grown from three employees from uh, 2018 until uh, when I left in 2020. Um, so a massive growth of over four years. When we, we went from having that infrastructure and support system to Deepwater having just myself, right? And um, <laughs> it took a lot of like thought and analysis of like, well, what's working? What's not working? What can be done better? Like all of these different things. And, and I started looking at the brand like, well, what does deep water mean, right? Like, what does it mean yeah. to consumers? And, you know, what, what is, what are the ways that we can strengthen that brand? Because I'm a huge, I'm a huge believer in um, games are their own brand, right? Monstrosity yeah. is its own brand. Sure. Trash talk, which you just, uh, we just uh, debuted at Gen Con. It's going to be its own brand. Cristalo, fantastic, fantastic factories. People know the brand. They don't necessarily know the brand behind the brand. Right. So, um, I didn't think that it was like super important that Deepwater went away because yeah. it wasn't adding much. Friendly Skeleton, I feel like it adds a lot, right? It, it, it's a you know think of like Hasbro. If you something has, has Hasbro on it, it's a mark of quality, right? Sure. We want to think of Friendly Skeleton as a mark of quality. Um, and what are those qualities, right? So that's that's the next thing we got into. We started doing all of this analysis on like what is our what is our games? What do they do? You know what connects them all together? You know, Monstrosity is a great example. It's a drawing game. You know, I got to play party it at, game. At, uh, at Gen Con. It was awesome. Oh, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> with the big boards. Yeah, Did you yeah. get to play with Eric? Yeah. Uh, the Slo Eric Slauson, the designer, was there too. Yeah, it's um, He was playing with people. Uh, but but it's a drawing game that's, that's about drawing monsters, right? So it's not, 
it's not your traditional drawing game, which is like, okay, draw a person doing this or draw a desk or draw something. So it's offbeat. And that kind of got us into this mode of like, okay, well, what is the thing that ties our games together, right? And we wanted a brand that kind of like represented that. And, you know, as much work as it would have been to put into Deepwater Games to, to kind of like guide it towards that, I thought it was better to just start again. <laughs> you know? well, it's, it's certainly, I guess, it, it, and I didn't realize you had actually bought out your partners, but I mean, you get to this point where it's almost like a renewal, right? And a, and a refresh. Yeah. And so it's very timely, right? If it's if you're going to do a refresh and say, okay, how am I going to take this identity forward now where it's I'm now, it's my personality that's moving forward. We're not, it's not kind of uh, this mix of the three of us from the past. Exactly. Yeah, you know, I think it's fair, right? To, to create an identity that represents that. How did you land on Friendly Skeleton? Was it was there different names you considered or was it this is the one oh, you're man. like, done? I've got to think of some of the, the there was a, okay, we went through hundreds, hundreds yeah. of names. We liked, so we, so we kept going and like, I, of course, did the things like Way Games because my last name's Way and it's like, mm. you know, Way to Go Games to, to uh, all of the different iterations. I've done a, a thousand Google searches on uh, how to use Way in a, in, in a name for, for a game. I mean, we almost did um, uh, Thinkle. Uh, Cause it was kind of like fun and different, but then we yeah. were like, okay, well, people are going to think tinkle, <laughs> yeah. you know? Uh, so maybe not that one. Um, and we, we went through hundreds and hundreds of, of different name combinations. And and to be honest with you, when we first got onto friendly skeleton, I loved it immediately. My intuition kicked in. I was like, that's it. That's the one. Yeah. And then I let it sit with me for a little bit. And I was like, well, you know, are people going to remember it? And, you know, kept trying to talk myself out of it. And I did talk myself out of it for, for a mm. little bit. And then I went back and I was like, wait a second, that that is actually really fun. It's really like, you know what a skeleton looks like. And you can imagine yeah. what a friendly skeleton looks like. So it's something that is like recognizable. It's different. And it doesn't, the other thing is it doesn't have the word games in it, which I think is important, right? Like we want to, we want to show that we are, making products that you know anybody can play anybody can pick mm. up it, it's not it doesn't have this connotation of like well it's a board game it's boring I, I don't know how to play it or it's like it's like monopoly and it's not gonna be interesting yeah. and we wanted really to like just be about having fun and you know having enjoying your time right like so there were so many iterations um and my job at the company, uh, just in general, you know, before I left Oxide, I was the president and uh, chief business development officer. So I would do deals where we would sign IPs like Winchester Mystery House. Um, I worked with Asmodee on Legend of the Five Rings and, and a couple of other projects, Mysterium, one of my favorite games I got to work on a comic book for. And then cool. we did the, the, the Gloomhaven comic book. So I got to do all of these different things where, you know, we're doing more of the business aspect of like a deal right so it's not as creative but then i started getting into um the creative aspect of like naming things like trash yeah. talk before it was trash talk uh it was project emily um which is a great fun name yeah. doesn't really illustrate what it is though yeah so naming is is a is, is a fun part of the the job right that's 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 kind of a big thing that i do it's 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 building the brand and uh um I will tell you when you name something, uh, a thesaurus is like your best friend. Oh yeah, <laughs> I like this word, but I don't. 
I don't like how it sounds. So what is a word like it, you know? Um, or what is a word that's completely opposite of, of this word? Like I'm going through it right now with, with another party game and I will just go through all sorts of different lines of thought on how to, how to name something, you know, what is it? Cause you, you want it with the name, you want to illustrate like what you are by just somebody yeah. reading the name, they can understand what it is. Um, and we've gotten really lucky with a lot of games like fantastic factories is a great example. Like yeah. you can't help, but say when you're describing the game, you know, say, Oh, you know, have you ever played fantastic factories? No. Oh, it's fantastic. Like <laughs> it yeah, immediately like pushes you. <laughs> exactly. It's like, it's so easy. People understand it just by the name. Um, so friendly skeleton, I hope that people will kind of start associating that, yeah. um, you know, and try start thinking about like, and the puns are just amazing. Like a big one we've been using is games with good bones. I'm nice. like, Oh, this is, this is just fantastic. Um, skeleton of fun is another one we're, we're playing around with. It's just <laughs> When you uh, did did Oxide, so you're talking earlier that uh, you had the, like this media company. So if people who did, don't know as much about that company, so th- this company was basically a an IP licensing agent. Is that kind of what it was as a media company, or did it go beyond that, or what? What did you guys do? We were a very, 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 very small version of um, an Embracer Group. Right, Embracer right. Group is is the parent company to Asmodee. But they're also the parent company to Dark Horse Comics. They're a parent company to yeah, yeah. Lord of the uh, Rings uh, IP and a couple of THQ, Nordics, um, all sorts of different things. So we basically took a bunch of uh, different companies that made products. So Deepwater Games was one of them. Uh, N3, which made uh, accessories. Um, Last Wolf Legion, which created IPs. And SourcePoint Press, which was a comic book company. And we took all of those companies and combined them into one. And we created Oxi Media. Mm, um, okay. The goal, yeah, and the goal was to share infrastructure, right? Like starting a board game and, and putting a board game uh, into the market can cost anywhere from twenty thousand to a hundred thousand dollars, depending yeah. on what your board game is, what your print run numbers are. I mean, this is why Kickstarter is so amazing because you can recoup those costs much earlier. Yeah. Um, but that is huge investments, right? And that that screws with your cash flow pretty pretty bad if you, you're you know putting heaps of money into a, a product that has not paid for you yet, uh, paid, paid you yet. So yeah. the idea with Oxide is you can balance your cash flows, but also share infrastructure costs, right? Oh, right. now we have one product manager that can do all of our different products instead of one product manager for everything. Um, and it worked really well. And it, and it's still, Oxide Media is still around. Um, they have uh, SourcePoint Press, which is uh, one of the biggest uh, horror publishers in the country. Mm. Um, but games just didn't really fit in their, um, in their, their flow as well as they were hoping to. And we kind of just decided to, to separate that out. So, so when that separated, um, was it the three of you separated with that or is it you individually separated from that, the deep water from that company? Yeah, I, I individually. So I, so that's when the big buyout was when you bought everyone and you said, okay, I'm taking this as a standalone entity. Got it. Yep, exactly. They stayed at Oxide. I, I, I left Oxide, but we're. We're both in Saginaw. Saginaw is a city of fifty thousand people, so you know their warehouses. Uh, I could walk to it from here. You run into <laughs> each other at the grocery store all the time, I'm sure. Oh yeah, <laughs> you, like so. All five years is like nothing in the in, in terms of timelines for uh, in the grand scheme. Like that's just pre-COVID, quite frankly, right? So, yeah. how, how did you get into board games? Like, where like was there? What were you doing before that? I guess that then got you into kind of Oxi and the board game industry. Like, there must have been something that then kind of led you that down that path. Yeah, so I've 
wanted to be an entrepreneur since I was like five years old. Mm. Um, I wanted to be an entrepreneur, right? Like the, 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 um, when, you know, when they have you write a thing of in kindergarten, pre-kindergarten, Oh, what do you, preschool, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, it was literally, I'd written out entrepreneur. It, wow. I can't spell it back then and I cannot spell it today. So don't ask. I have autocorrect always correct me. Um, but I knew kind of, I wanted to build products, build things, right? Like that was interesting to me as a kid, I would take apart VCRs, um, and then just like, look at how they worked. Yeah. I designed a go-kart, um, never built it. Thank God. My parents were, my mom was smart enough not to let me build something with a lawnmower engine, yeah. um, on it, but I I've always liked to build, right. Um, I never put back the VCR by the way. I just put all the pieces back in there and just pretended that it was, <laughs> that it was together. Uh, but yeah, I always wanted to build and it's it just, I've had that passion since I was a young kid and um, you know, I've been kind of following that and trying to do different things. Like I, one of my first uh, business ventures was um, chess coaching. So I would uh, teach kids how to play ch chess and teach kids in like middle school, no elementary school. Yeah. And I did that when I was about 19. And then, um, I, uh, went to school for a little bit and then I decided to just kind of do my own thing. And, and at the age of 23, 20, yeah, 22, 23, I can't remember exactly. I decided to start a printing company. And what I would do is I'd take print, I'd take, uh, I'd buy printing from Taiwan, um, which is, a great country for printing. They have really high quality stuff and they have yeah. all of the raw materials you get from China still. A price is not uh, not as cheap as China, but it's not as expensive as the US, but it has the same quality of the US. Mm -hmm. So I would get high quality Kickstarter projects, you know, like um, Oink hardcover edition, which had foil stamps and fake leather and, you know, hard covers and all sorts of different things. And I would, I would produce these extremely bespoke products in Taiwan with my printer, and then I'd import them and, and uh, ship them directly to the customer. Um, and the first company I worked for did this, but they didn't do it for this, this category. They're, they're actually called Print Ninja. Um, they're still pretty big in the okay, board. Yeah. yeah, they're, they're in the board game space now. Um, there, but I worked with them and I just realized like, I could just do this myself. <laughs> yeah. And I just started that, uh, the funniest part about that whole journey too, is, um, I, I had to fly over to Taiwan to set up the relationships and I booked a flight like two weeks before I had to go. And the first time I had ever stepped into a printing facility was, was what was then when I was ordering stuff from them and had already had some customers, I just understood like the process of yeah. how printing works. And, you know, it's all, it was all theoretical until I stepped into the factory and then I was like, Oh, okay. This is practical too. <laughs> um, so I did that printing company and uh, that functioned for a couple of years. Um, it was pretty good. I mean, you know, I, I learned a ton on that uh, process and I learned that I don't really like, making other people's stuff yeah. you know it's it's cool to work with creators like that's where i really unlocked my passion of like working with creators like that's one of the things that i love the best about this job is to work with a designer to take their their ideas from infancy to a full full-fledged product right and i got to do that a lot with with uh, my printing company but i wanted to actually make it a physical thing make the decisions 
do the product. And I met um, and breast forward people uh, in Taiwan and uh, they had issues getting product to the U S and, and if you don't know Empress four, their biggest hit is Hanuma Koji, okay. um, which is in my, in my opinion, the best two player game, hmm. two player card game ever made. Um, it's a take, uh, take, uh, I split you choose mechanism. Yep. Um, and it's just so simple and so beautiful. Um, and we, that was our start 2018, Five years after, about five years after uh, I started the printing company, I decided to shift into board games. Did you and, spin uh, off that company, or did you just just transition into to board games and said, "Okay, we're just gonna"? I I transitioned like we, my I had a partner that uh, wanted out, so I kind of bought them out and then just started yeah. to slowly roll down the company. Um, and then it was just like a a nice natural switch, basically right when Welcome to was blowing up and and um, we the company started to blow up. So, uh, or the, not, sorry, when welcome to started to blow up, we started to ramp down, uh, uh, the printing company. So it was, it was a really interesting transition. I came into the industry being a, a, a printing expert, right. Yeah. And I kind of have transitioned into being a product expert, um, which I think is, is very well tied together, right? Like oh, you need sure. to know how something <laughs> is made. I mean, trash talk has uh, 20, physical pieces like they are literal pieces of stuff like this is a, a, a prototype piece like there okay. are actual pieces yeah. of, of of treasure tra treasured trash right so we had to, i have to know how to source those things you know what what factories to talk to like all of those different things and it's you know it's it's given me a, a leg up on on uh, the competition as far as product goes <laughs> oh yeah it certainly helps i guess to go you know, I talk to different publishers, they're new into the industry, right? And they're using brokers and things like this to help them put their game together. And I often will say to them, it is shockingly easy to go direct, right? Yeah. To, to China. You just have to get over the fear, <laughs> right? Of, of dealing direct. Because, uh, you know, sometimes people think, oh, well, what happens if they take my money and run? I mean, there's ways to protect yourself if you want to go the one route of Alibaba. There's you know insurance and protections in there for you as well. But most of the board game uh, publisher or manufacturers, I'd say in China, um, are, are you know are the, are the leaders in the industry in terms of manufacturing. And you don't have to use a broker to go and talk to them directly. You can talk to them directly and establish a direct relationship. And most of them have project management teams. They'll help you guide you through the process as well, right? They've taken a lot of the scariness out of the process. So there's lots of savings to be had there. And once you realize that you can deal directly, then you have the opportunity to really kind of get under the hood and figure out, okay, what are ways we can optimize this production, you know, change certain components. I've had manufacturers say to me, hey, you know, instead of doing the component like this, have you considered doing it like that? Because we think it'd be better from our experience. It's like, yeah, you're right. Actually, that would be better. Thank mm -hmm. you. I had no, I didn't know what I didn't know. Uh, but you yeah. got to start the process, right? And uh, and there's many of them out there. So um, it's it's cool kind of talking to someone that comes from the printing side that has that depth knowledge. I'm sure it was very easy for you then to start having these uh, sourcing dialogue with, you know, your manufacturers as you're trying to find different components and so forth. Do you source individual components and then arrange a shipment to your manufacturer or do you use some of the manufacturers to go and source that for you? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, I've got a couple of pieces of advice on on that for any, yeah. any uh, would-be publishers uh, listening or publishers. Um, you know, most factories 
uh, that you'll even talk to, right? They're, they're going to specialize in, in one type of, uh, yeah. of manufacturing. So there's companies that specialize in, in, in plastic injection molding, and they'll be great at those prices. And then they outsource all of their paper products, right? Um, and it depends on what you do, right? Like I, I highly recommend, um, let's say you're a, a miniatures company and miniatures are just part of your thing. Get a miniatures manufacturer as your main manufacturer. And if, yeah. if paper goods and if you can spare a little bit of margin to not have to do the hassle of, of, of doing that, um, of sourcing, then then go that direction, right? Um, for us, we use Hopes, mm, yep. um, Hopes Shanghai. Great team. Yep. They, they're very honest in what they do, right? Like they are a, a printer, right? And they can do a lot of other parts. But, you know, if I want to, I can source those those things and then ship them to them. The tricky part about sourcing products from other factories and then uh, putting them into that that piece is like just making sure things fit, right? Yeah. Making sure your insert that your plastics manufacturer is doing for all of your minis fits in the box that your paper manufacturer is doing. So when you do that, you do want to do more sampling, right? And make sure that everything fits perfectly. Yeah. Um, but going with a, a, a direct printer like Hopes um you know and having them source a lot of that stuff you're going to pay a little bit extra but you're not going to have the headache right and one of the yeah. big things i tell publishers is like what do you want to do right as as a as a owner of the business what are the things you actually want to do do you want to figure out the cheapest price for absolutely everything do you want to figure out what it costs per box to tape something or what what it costs per box right yeah. uh, the physical box like if if those are things that entertain you or if you have people on your team that are interested in that have them do it but if not outsource it because as a business owner you could spend 40 hours a week just doing those parts right like you'd spend yeah. 40 hours a week figuring out the cheapest way to ship something in Australia right or you could spend 40 hours a week making your next product yeah. and like Finding uh, there's a great quote. I, I think it's from like um, uh, um, Cameron, uh, the the lean startup. I think is is the book, and it was like you have to move from doing the ten hour ten dollar an hour jobs in your company to the hundred dollar an hour jobs in your company, and mm. outsource the ten dollar an hour jobs. Only you, only only me, only certain people can figure out what products meet meet your brand, right? And yeah. like how to tailor those products. Other people can figure out how to properly tape and seal those boxes and ship them out, right? So outsource those things. You lose a little bit of margin, but you gain a lot of time and and, and uh, brain space for the things that really matter and the only things you can do, right? Yeah. Um, the other thing I tell people is a printer can ha uh, has like four things that 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 you should look for, right? It's usually quality, price, speed, and the one that everybody forgets is who that person is, right? Who, what their, what their temperament, what their uh, trustworthiness is, mm. and I truly believe the trustworthiness of a printer is more important than all of the other three, because yeah. you can you can you can fix quality, right? Quality is a, is a factor of like, hey, use this type of paper instead of this type of paper. Hey, you know, when you have people looking at the the product online make sure it doesn't have this bend to it or make sure it's straight or make sure it's, you know, uh, not smudging, right? Price is something to negotiate. That's, that's easy to do. Time, always a factor. Like, you know, you can't really do much. Things take time. Uh, but somebody being willing to stand behind the products that they make 
and stand behind the things that they tell you is so much more important than any of the other things. Those other three are qualitative. This is quantitative, or those are quantitative. This is qualitative, right? Like this is somebody's how they act in a, in a situation. Cause I will tell you, I've never had um, a print run without one mistake, right? Oh yeah. It just happens. Never happens. It, you know, I screw something up or they screw something up, but every time, you know, hopes makes a mistake, they always stand by their work. Always, yeah. every time. I don't even have to ask. And I've heard a lot of horror stories where, you know, manufacturers get the wrong box size and then make the customer pay for it. Yeah. And that just doesn't work for me, man. <laughs> you know, if you're making a mistake, you, you're going to cover it. Uh, so that's that's one of the things that I, I tell people is like, look for that, right? Look for how they act when things get rough, right? When they screw something up or, you know, when you push on something. Yeah, totally. So now that you are kind of peeled off under Friendly Skeleton, is it or is it like a one man show now? Or what I see with a lot of manufacturers or a lot of publishers in the industry, even companies like Deepwater now, Friendly Skeleton, which for the audience outside looking in, they're like, "Oh, that's that's a massive company." They don't realize that most companies in the hobby board gaming industry are one to three people that yep. are in the company and then everything else is bolt on services, right? So you bolt on, you bolt off based on the different um, jobs. You're, is that, how, how's it set up with you right now? How, how are you guys set up? Yeah. So we're, um, I'm the only real full-time person. And then we've got um, three to four part-time people. Yeah. Um, you know, a graphic design or a, a product manager um, who gets all of the manufacturing and the the art aspects uh, nailed? Customer service, operations manager, and then a warehouse person. So you know they're they're you're completely correct in the in the idea that you know it's very rarely um, a huge massive operation because board games the cash flow is 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 usually so unpredictable, right? Yeah. Until you get games that. Uh, reach what's called evergreen status <laughs> you cannot have consistent cash flow like welcome to when we were publishing welcome to we knew exactly how much money we would make every month from yeah. the sales of welcome to and that's easier to plan your labor now yeah. even with stuff like monstrosity which is an evergreen and it's 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 an extremely good game and has been in target and barnes noble and has outsold welcome to in a lot of ways we still have issues where there is fluctuation you yeah. know and we it's hard to hard to judge so until you get to the point where you have consistent cash flow, it's it's hard to be like, hey, let me spend this amount of money on a person and next month it might be really not a great month and we unfortunately have to lay them off. Like everybody in this, a lot, of, I won't say everybody, but a lot of people in this industry are very compassionate yeah. and, you know, those maneuvers of like over hiring and then just letting go of a bunch of people is not something a lot of people want to do in this industry yeah yeah <laughs> also I, the I, talent pool is small so it's like you know i don't want to you know fire a bunch of people and then have to rely on them in the future <laughs> so with you selling to like barnes and noble and these are you going through distributors are you guys selling direct or how do you guys get to these different uh brick and mortar retailers yeah so um with with uh, specialty you know with which is like barnes and uh um there's a couple of in, in Canada, like Master something. I can't remember the name. Mastermind. Um, yep. Mastermind. There's a couple of chains that we would consider specialty, right? And those those chains are, you know, not gigantic, um, but they are consistent. Like Books a Million is another example. Um, those 
and mass market, which would be like Walmart, Target, mm-hmm. Walgreens, um, uh, those would be mass market. So those two chains or those two types, specialty and mass market, we use um, buyer agents, right? Mm-hmm. So those are provided um, uh, through our distributors, right? So um, Barnes & Noble, we had um, uh, uh, PSI handling them. And then the other chains, we would have uh, people like Flat Flat River Group and um, to be announced, we were changing uh, all of that up a little bit, um, but it's still the same idea, right? Yeah. Um, a buyer at Barnes and Noble, who's if you ever get to meet the buyer, her name's Sabrina, best person in this industry by far. She's so nice, so knows product, appreciates product, and appreciates small publishers. Yeah. Um, but she even even with that great relationship, and even with uh, you know, at, at times we've had five titles in Barnes and Noble. Even with that amount of titles, it's it's still very difficult for her to buy direct, right? Mm. Um, you know, even though she's buying five titles from us, she'd rather buy those five titles from somebody she's buying sixty titles from. Of course, right? Um, so you you really can't get around the buyer agent thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, it eliminates risk though for you as well, right? So if you did sell, for instance, to like a Walmart or to uh, a Target uh, directly, you're responsible for that that product performance if that product doesn't perform you take it back <laughs> right well that still happens that still happens with buyer agents right that still yeah. happens with psi that still happens with flat roof group so that's why you got to be really careful i mean there's you companies that company, have gone right? bankrupt yeah i mean there's some famous examples that used to have uh katan um <laughs> you know which uh you know they they mayfair have a lot of issues with buybacks and um there's a ton of examples where you got to be careful right like um the mass market board games is such a small part of the mass market, right? When you yeah. think of Target, who does billions of dollars a year, and their board game section probably does, maybe maybe it gets to hundred million. I doubt it. I, yeah. It's probably in the tens of millions. That's just a fraction of their business. The the buyer for board board games usually buys for like toys and and other places because yeah, it's an add on. Board games is so small. <laughs> so you know. Um, the fact that uh, you know you're you're just a small little fish in their giant pond, so you know they they don't mind putting those buybacks on you. Uh, so that's why you got to be very careful. You know, like I think that um, one of the best advice I got starting out because one of my goals was to get a game into Target, and we got very lucky to be able to do that. Yeah. But you know, when I was when I was expressing my goal, a lot of people would be like, "Just be careful because." You know, buybacks will hurt you a lot. And if you cannot afford it, a buyback just for like people that don't know, when you sell a product into Target, you are selling them returnable product. Now, they can't normally return it for 100% of their money back. It's usually a percentage of their, their money back. But when you buy stuff on clearance at Target, the publisher is paying part of that clearance cost. Yeah. And that's what a buyback is. So, you know, if I sell, Let's just pretend $100,000 into Target. I usually budget a certain percentage for buybacks, right? Like 20%, 30%. And it may never happen. The game may do great, but it's always good to kind of be prepared. And as a smaller company, that $100,000, maybe that's what your company survives off for six months, nine months, a year. And yeah. when in a year a year in advance, Target comes back, asks for $20,000, $30,000, you have you don't have it to to give, or you take it from places where it 
needed. <laughs> yep, left <laughs> pocket, right more. pocket, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So it's it's really important to like know who you are and where you are in the industry and and not overextend to a point where you are hurting um, or could potentially fold. So, you know, this energy you guys have had, and you, I mean, I could feel it when we were at Gen Con, or I wasn't at Gen Con, I was at Origins, but I'm sure it was at Gen Con as well. Your booth is buzzing, you know, monstrosity, or is it monstrosity? Uh, was a, there was a massive crowd around it when I saw it <laughs> at the show, which is great. I got a chance to play in the, in the big boards, which is cool. Can you talk about what you have planned next? Like, what's the next big thing that you guys are coming with? Is that mapped out yet, or is there anything you can actually talk about or tease out at all? Or, oh, that's a great question. So, um, those crowds are probably tripled uh, at Gen Con oh, yeah. because we we released Trash Talk. Mm. Um, trash Talk, in the most simplest of ways, is code names with items. Right? You have physical items. You have physical. You have the words, and you try to match those items to the words. Um, it's an extremely interesting and engaging game. And it's a great game to bring to your family outings because, you know, who doesn't want to play with little toys, right? Um, And that will be in Barnes and Noble um, later this year, Uh, but we're also releasing it to to Hobby. So look out for that one. Um, I think that's going to be a big hit Um, and it's only $20. So it's it's a great uh, purchase price. And then Cristalo's second edition is going to be coming soon too, right? Like I know the Kickstarter just wrapped up. Uh, yeah, we guys... have two expansions for Cristalo. Two expansions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, when is that coming? Is that next year, or when are you guys gonna be ready for that one? We're we're hoping for this year. Um, it de- definitely depends on production schedule and and yeah. uh, ocean shipping time. But we have two expansions. Um, if you've never played Cristalo, it's it, it's basically the experience you you would feel when you're playing a, a phone game. You know, and you're trying to match and 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 cr- and fix these or solve these puzzles. Yeah. But it's as a board game, and the stuff that we've used for the expansion just make the puzzle even more interesting and engaging. And oh, that's, and cool. that's another game that's 20 bucks. It's at Barnes Noble right now. So if yeah, you're a puzzle it's fan, yeah. it's a solo plus game. So play with play as a couple or play play just with yourself. So um <laughs> that one will be hopefully this this year as well. Um but that's uh just some final things to wrap up on that one. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to see it. Well, Jacob, for those who want to now follow Friendly Skeleton or transition over to uh, for for your audience, how best do they follow you now online? How best do they kind of follow the journey and reach out to you guys? What's the best way they can do that under the new uh, company identity? So FriendlySkeleton.com is probably the best. We're still updating all of our social medias uh, and getting all of that switched over. Um, it's harder than you'd imagine. Um, but yeah, we should have more of our social media up. And then we also have just like a, an email, uh, blast that goes out. So oh, cool. friendlyskeleton.com would be the best place. Oh, amazing. Well, I want to wish you all the best this coming year. Can't wait to see you at the next con and uh, hopefully get a chance to play uh monstrosity again on the, on the big boards. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much, James. <laughs> Thanks for having me. No worries, man. You take care. Cheers. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel, Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time. Thank you.